This is our Missions Conference 2023. We had a wonderful time during our life group hour with our partners from Zambia and South Asia. Let's let them know how thankful we are that they're here with us today. We also have a special guest here. We have Brother Al Jackson, who's going to be bringing the message this morning. I am so excited for Brother Al. Let's let him know as well how thankful we are. I'm so thankful that his grandkids live here because that means that he'll come and preach often. So very, very, very thankful. I have just a few announcements for you um, Many of you are, excuse me, the last two weeks we've had uh, life action testimonies in the bulletin. How many of y'all were blessed by the life action testimony this week? So if you have a, amen, amen, if you have a testimony that you would like to share, please email that to us at info at luke418fellowship.org. We would love to share with the body of Christ just about uh, what has been going on in, in your life through the life action team and, and also just... Uh, in the days since, and how God has used uh, that ministry, and, and even just what He's been doing in your life over the last few weeks. We also have Grief Share. Registration begins tomorrow at 1.30 in the youth room. Uh, they'll meet on Mondays at 1.30 p.m. If you know of anybody who is a widow or widower, uh, or somebody who may have lost a child, uh, this is a wonderful ministry to help walk with them during one of the most difficult times of their life. And so if you know somebody that, that you uh, feel needs this ministry, I, I pray that you would share with them and encourage them to come and be a part. I do want to share our schedule with you. Obviously, uh, we had our time this morning uh, with uh, our world partnerships from South Asia and from Zambia. Today at 1030 right now, we have Brother Al Jackson who will be speaking. And, t- and then we start kind of our meet and greets or introductory, getting information about our different ministries. So at 6 p.m. tonight in the youth room, we'll have South Asia meet and greet. You can come ask questions. You can hear about the ministry. You can ask and seek how to pray for them. Maybe the Lord's calling you to go to South Asia. You can hear more about that. It's not simply for those who just feel like they're supposed to go. This is also for you to get more information, know how you can pray and support them. Tomorrow night, we'll be at 6 p.m., will be our Zambia partnership uh, in the youth room. The same thing, come and be a part of that. Wednesday night, we will have uh, our local missions and New Orleans and Alaska will be here. And then you'll be able to hear more about New Orleans at 7 p.m. after the 6 o'clock time with New Orleans and Byron. Pastor Byron will be here. And then Thursday... uh, We'll have the Alaskan pastor here at 6 p.m. So tonight, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 6 p.m., we will have uh, meet and greet opportunities for you to hear more about the partnerships that we have all throughout the nation and the world. Love for you to come and be a part. And then next Sunday, I'll be sharing uh, vision with you as we uh, just talk about missions and, and kind of close all this up together as the Lord is putting on our hearts to go in Christ throughout the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, you are so good and we praise your holy name. And Father, we thank you for this time that we get to spend together. We thank you for the freedom that we have to worship together. And Father, I pray right now, Lord, that our hearts would be in tune to what you're speaking. Father, open our eyes to see that which you are doing. Father, I pray that we would walk in obedience of your truth. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in your holy place but who has clean hands and a pure heart? Father, I do pray right now. Lord, that your name would be lifted high and glorified in this place as we worship you in spirit and in truth. Oh, Father, it's in your precious and holy name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, are you happy in the Lord this morning? Amen. Stand with us as we sing of the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. Majesty, worship His majesty. 
before we sing a, a wonderful song about Revelation. In Revelation chapter 4, the Apostle John records a scene in heaven. And in verse 8, we'll begin reading, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sit on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever, and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they exist and worship. Amen. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Sing it to Him. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. You are my everything, and I will. 
Heavenly Father, that's the song of our heart this morning. And Lord, we long for that time when we can gather around that throne and sing with the saints and the angels, Holy, holy, holy art thou. Father, we thank you for this day that we've come together in your name and for the purpose that you've appointed. And Father, we know there's not one here today who's here by accident. You've called your children together. Father, you have a message for us. We thank you, Lord, for these saints, these missionaries who've given their lives to go out and preach to those that have never heard the gospel. Father, we pray that you would bring much fruit. Lord, we thank you now for this time of worship. Lord, we know that you live in the praises of your people. Lord, we do praise you. Lord, we do honor you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Pastor Al, Brother Al uh, Jackson, who's coming today, and he spent 42 years at Lakeview in Auburn as pastor. And during that time, he traveled all over the world, proclaiming the gospel, ministering to pastors, and, and sharing the truth of God's word. But one of the greatest things that God did in and through his ministry is how many people were called to go. How many people were called to go and live as missionaries all over the world and give their life on the mission field? And so there's nobody, in my mind, greater to come and to proclaim this great commission, this focus on going in Christ than Brother Al. And so, Brother Al, would you come up as we pray? 
um, as we begin this time. Father, I just thank you for how you have placed us together as brothers in Christ. And Lord, I thank you for the word that you have given um, Brother Al. Lord, I pray right now that you would just speak mightily in and through him. Your word will not return void. And Lord, I pray for our hearts that we would hear and obey what you are speaking. Father, we do want to lift up uh, Brother Aaron as he recovers. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just continue to strengthen him during this time. But Father, as a song was just sung, that you are, Jesus, the center of our joy. When you're the center of our joy, it is a joy to go and do that which you have called us to do. And that's to share the gospel with all those around. So Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask that you would speak mightily to us in this moment. And that we would listen and obey. For it's in your name we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word. And uh, if you will, find Matthew chapter 9. We'll look in verses 35 through 38 this morning as we think about pray for workers for the harvest. Matthew chapter 9. Thank you, Pastor David, for the invitation uh, to be again in this pulpit. I needed to ask you, I suppose, before the service, this looks like the pulpit that was at Cottage Hill at one time, is it? Where your founding pastor and my friend of 40 years, Fred Wolf, preach. And uh, we miss Brother Fred greatly, do we not? But thank God for his legacy and for his life. And I'm so grateful uh, that the Lord uh, led you to extend a call to my son-in-law, Randy Presley, to join the staff here. And now he has the missions portfolio. And uh, I'm glad that uh, my daughter Hannah and our, our grandchildren, William and Joshua and Margaret Ann, can sit under the preaching and teaching of uh, Brother David. Uh, we, when we're in town, we try to come here. We, we come here to hear your pastor preach. And I, he, he, when he preaches, he reminds me of something Abraham Lincoln once said. He said, I, when I hear a preacher preach, I, I want him to look like he's fighting a swarm of bees. And uh, your pastor is energetic in the pulpit. I told, I told Pastor David earlier today, I said, uh, when I watch you preach and listen to you preach, it reminds me of me 40 years ago. I was loud and fast. And now I'm old and slow. And in 40 years, you'll probably be old and slow too, David, but it's okay. And uh, thank God for, for you and this ministry and the witness in this city and uh, the witness to the ends of the earth. And I believe in that if Jesus tarries, uh, that the, the worldwide witness of Luke 418 Fellowship is going to far surpass anything you've ever known or done in the past, and I'm grateful to be a part of this mission's focus uh, uh, today and last night. And uh, let me just say, uh, avail yourself of the opportunities that are coming up in the days to come. Uh, this is so very, very strategic for what God is doing uh, among the nations and how he wants to use us uh, to bear witness to those who do not know Christ. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I tried to say last night that our mission is the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus saved us that we might declare the gospel, uh, not only to the neighborhood, but also to the nations. And uh, that's what this week is about. And so God bless you as you go through this week. Uh, some years ago, uh, Bart and uh, Cynthia stood in the pulpit of Lakeview Baptist Church. They had just been appointed missionaries by our International Mission Board to Asia. And uh, they, they said, uh, last Sunday, we were uh, appointed by the church that we've been a part of for the last two years. Bart and Cynthia had, had been students at Auburn, had joined Lakeview Baptist Church, were married there and uh, heard the call of God to go to the nations. And he was in the School of Agriculture, and that was his platform to get into closed country. And uh, the mission board wisely uh, said, you need to have two years of experience in your, in your uh, vocation before we will appoint you. So they went to another state, and uh, 
got those two years of experience in, and then they came back the last Sunday before they left to go overseas for us to commission them. And they said, last Sunday in our church in South Carolina, we had a similar commissioning service, and the pastor said uh, to the congregation last Sunday, in the 148-year history of our church, this is the first missionaries we've ever sent out. And my heart sank. And I thought, how can a church be in in existence for almost one and one-half centuries before they sent out their first missionaries? And the fact of the matter is, they didn't hear the call of God to go to the nations in that church. They heard it in Lakeview Church. Now, Southern Baptists have about 3,600 international missionaries through our International Mission Board. But there are about 48,000 Southern Baptist churches, so just do the math. And some churches have multiple numbers of missionaries out of their churches. And so the question is, why are there so few who have gone with the glorious salvation that a Savior has come who is Jesus Christ the Lord? Is it perhaps that we have not prayed and asked God to raise up workers for the harvest? Matthew chapter 9, we read that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease. Uh, Here's a a threefold summary of of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a preacher of the good news. He was a teacher of the word, and he was a healer of disease and sickness. And quite frankly, that's what we see in our, in our missions in areas that we send out. We have some who are involved in medical ministry. We have many who are involved in theological education, training pastors, national pastors. And most of our missionary force are seeking to preach the gospel of salvation and plant churches. And they all work together in harmony, just like what Jesus modeled for us 2,000 years ago. Now, verse 36, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he saw the multitudes, Matthew tells us that Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, all scriptures God breathed, and all four of these verses are important, but I want to uh, focus initially and say to you, I believe the key verse here uh, is verse 38, where Jesus said to the disciples, Ask, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And this command of the Lord Jesus Christ is just as germane and just as apple today as it was when Jesus spoke these words 2,000 years ago. Now, we pray for ourselves, and we should. We pray for our families, and we should. We pray for our church and the leaders of our church, and we should. We pray for the sick to be healed, and we should. We pray for shut-ins that we know, and we should. We pray for the bereaved, and we should. But let me ask you this question. Do you, do we pray for God to raise up missionaries to be sent out into the harvest fields of the world? Perhaps James, the half-brother of our Lord, in James chapter 4, verse 2, describes why we have so few missionaries. James said there, you do not have because you do not ask. Now again, verse 38, Jesus said, this is how we're to pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. So today, think with me about this subject. Pray for workers for the harvest. Our text for our consideration this morning gives us three compelling reasons why you and I, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, should pray for workers for the harvest, to pray for God to raise up uh, from our, our fellowship, our families, workers for the harvest, missionaries who will go where the gospel has never been and declare the message of salvation. The first compelling reason is found in verse 36. We should pray for workers for the harvest because of the suffering of humanity. In verse 36, Jesus said, when he saw the crowds, uh, it says that Jesus 
He saw them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That was the description given to us in Scripture of what that first century world looked like. The multitudes that Jesus saw, he saw them as harassed, helpless, in in need, suffering. It was true then. It's true today. We live in a world that's broken. It's been broken since the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And we have since suffered the consequences of their rebellion and their sin. We live in a fallen world. And we suffer because of it. And so we should pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers for the harvest wheel because of the suffering of humanity. Let me suggest three types of suffering in our world today. First, there is physical suffering. By physical suffering, I mean the fact that hunger and disease stalk our world. Did you know that about 9 million people die every single year because of hunger and starvation or hunger-related diseases? That's about 24,000 people every single day. Our cupboards are full, but it's not true for much of the world. 822 million people on planet Earth are undernourished. And I've been to South Asia. I've walked the streets there. And I've seen those who were born on the streets, on the sidewalks, who live their lives on the sidewalks in cardboard boxes, who die on the streets. That, that's all they've ever known. There, there is immense physical suffering in our world. And Jesus said they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we have been called to engage in compassion ministries to care for their physical needs. But there's a second kind of suffering, and that is spiritual suffering. And by spiritual suffering, I mean there are multitudes who, who have no peace with God because they have no faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not because they've heard the gospel of salvation and said, no thanks. But for multitudes of them, they've never heard the gospel. They've never even heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are almost two billion Muslims in this world headed for a Christless eternity. And they're some of the most devout religious people you'll ever see. They, they, five times a day they pause wherever they are and they bow down toward Mecca and uh, say their, their prayers to a God who does not exist, who cannot answer their prayers. But they're very religious. Uh, then there's... Uh, uh, just over one billion Hindus, most of whom are located in South Asia. Very devout, very devoted in their, in their zeal for their, their false religion. Seeking peace in a, in a place they'll never find real peace because it's, it's only found in Christ. 507 million Buddhists, primarily in Southeast Asia. Again, very, very devout. Uh, they're, they're restless, but they'll never find peace until they find it in Christ. The great uh, uh, theologian Augustine said many, many centuries ago, you have made us for yourself, O God, and we are restless until we find our rest in you. And for me, having come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as a 10-year-old boy, and having been reared in a Christian home, and having been in the Lord's house on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and missions week and study course week and whatever else was going on at the Baptist church, we were there. I've never known a time when I didn't know about Jesus. And when I was uh, convicted of my sins as a fifth grader, I came to faith in Christ. And I've had, I've had the peace of God in my life. But there are multitudes who don't have that peace. And they are suffering spiritually. Now Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it eternally. And so there's the, there's the suffering of humanity. There is the physical suffering. There is the spiritual suffering. And then there is the eternal suffering. By that I seem to mean if they don't come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be cast away from the presence of God into outer darkness, into the lake of fire, for which there is no escape. We are all familiar with and love John 3.16, the first verse I ever memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But verses 17 and 18 follow. 
And there we read, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. Those of us who have Christ, we are not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. It's not just that someday they'll be condemned, but they are even now condemned in the sight of God. And only Jesus can change that. Hell is real. It's a place of eternal torment and Quite frankly, Jesus had more to say during the days of his three-year public ministry about hell than he had to say about heaven. And so we read in Matthew chapter 9 that that Jesus said, uh, Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field because the people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd looking in all the wrong places for contentment and forgiveness and the release from guilt and they'll never find it apart from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ we are to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field because of the suffering of humanity but a second compelling reason why you and I should pray for workers for the harvest is because of the size of the harvest Look in verse 37, the first part of verse 37. There Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. You may have a translation that says, the fields are white unto harvest. And indeed they are. It was true then, and it's true today. Now, according to the Joshua Project, and that's a website that you ought to look up, Joshua Project, it's just got more information you can ever assimilate in a lifetime about the status of world Christianity and the advance of the gospel. But according to the Joshua Project, 42.5% of the people in planet Earth are unreached. By that, it simply means they've not heard the gospel. It's not that they've heard the gospel and rejected the gospel. There are many millions who, who've heard the gospel and rejected the gospel. But these are people with little or no gospel witness. That's 3 billion, 370 million people. And most of them live in what's called the 1040 window, which is that, that part of the world, a 10 degrees north to 40 degrees north latitude that stretches from North Africa across the Middle East, across uh, Asia, all the way to, to the Pacific Ocean. This is where most of them live. And, 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 and the harvest is great. And the fact of the matter is, it's not that many of them have heard and rejected the gospel. They just never heard. And when we go to those hard places with the gospel, and we water our gospel witness with our prayers and our tears, the Spirit of God will move in those places. And, and uh, we see response. Now, God is sovereign in the harvest. And the harvest ripens, and the doors are open, and there's response. And then after a few years, there's less response and less interest, and the harvest is lost. Forty-four years ago, there were about 10,000 evangelical, genuine followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in Iran. Today, at least a million, and maybe as many as eight million, in just 40-something years. The greatest advance of the gospel on planet Earth today is in a country that is our political adversary. God is at work in Iran. I was some years ago preaching in Havana, Cuba, standing room only, chairs on the platform, people everywhere standing around the walls. God is at work in in Cuba. And hundreds of house churches, perhaps thousands by now, have been planted in, in Cuba. The people, the Cubans are hungry to know God. When the Soviet Union imploded about 30 years ago, I said to our then missions pastor, John West, I said, John, let's find a part of the former Soviet Union, of the former Soviet bloc in Eastern Europe, and let's find a, a country there, and let's just focus on it for a few years. And so we, we chose the country Latvia. We took our first team to Latvia in 1994. We went back every year for many, many years, and uh, I noticed every time I'd go back, and I've been there many times, I noticed the first time we went, it was, it was still, you could see the effects of the Soviet bloc. I mean, listen, socialism does not work. And it is stark and austere. And, but, but 
when free market came in, they, they had redemption and lift, and there's, you know, the country grew and prospered economically. But as it grew and prospered economically, it became less and less responsive uh, to the gospel of salvation. And so these harvest fields are ripe for a while, and, and then they close. Now, some say, and I don't tend to disagree with this, I think it's true of my experience of going to Africa now many times over the last 30 plus years, is there's, a, there's, a, there's still an openness in Africa to the gospel. And, and Africa desperately needs teachers who will go and teach sound doctrine. And the people are hungry to hear it. I was, in, uh, I was in Kenya. I was out in the bush with my translator, David Khalil, my all-time favorite translator. And uh, I was teaching pastors and church leaders in a little bush church, sitting on a hard concrete floor. And uh, I'd been speaking for an hour and 40 minutes, and I was tired and jet lagged. And I turned to David, and I said, David, tell them, let's, t- let's take a, a short break. And so in Kipsiki, David spoke to the, to the pastors and church leaders, and they all spoke back to him almost in unison. And I said, David, what did they say? And he said, they said, don't take a break. Just keep going to lunchtime. So I kept going to lunchtime, though I was exhausted physically. I, I've never seen that kind of hunger in the United States of America. It's harvest time in great in portions of the world. People are responsive like like uh, never, never before. And so Jesus said, ask, pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers for the harvest field because of the size of the harvest, because of the suffering of humanity. And then there's a third reason in this text why Jesus has commanded us to ask the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. It's because of the shortage of harvesters. Look in verse 37 again. There we read, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Do you see those few words there? The workers are few. The missionaries are few. And the harvest needs to be gathered or it will be lost. Now, you live in a city. I expect some of you grew up in the country. And I expect in a Assembly of this many people, there's some of you who perhaps grew up on a farm. I didn't grow up on a farm, but I was once pastor of a rural church. Carolina Baptist Church, Covington County. And I would notice at, in the fall, I would hear the farmers in the church say, we're going to work from can to can. That was their phrase, can C-A-N to Cain, C-A-N apostrophe T. And I thought by that they're just simply saying, we're going to get in the fields uh, early in the morning, and we're going to work to sundown, and get back in the fields and work from morning, sunrise to sundown. But I discovered that's not what they meant by that. Can to can't men, we're going to work as early as we can get in the fields until we can't hold out at night because they have those big combines and tractors and uh, they got those bright lights on those things and they'll work to midnight. They've got to gather the harvest because if you wait too long, and these are, these are big time farmers, if you wait too long, you lose the harvest that you labored for all year. And so you have a window of opportunity to gather the harvest or it's lost. And I believe the same thing is true when it comes to uh, the gospel. The Spirit of God, he, he, he works in supernatural ways in the, in the lives of a certain people group or a certain uh, tribe or a certain ethnic group, what we call nations, to make them responsive to the, to the witness of the gospel. And then a few years later, they're not as responsive as they used to be. We've seen that in China 20-something years ago. The Chinese people, our missionaries in China, would say one out of every three people we talk to and share the gospel with comes to faith in Jesus Christ. That's not true anymore. They're still being saved in China, but not like they were. 
And, and so there's, there's the, this dimension that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And there, there's a shortage of harvesters. I said earlier, 48,000 Southern Baptist churches, only 3,600 uh, missionaries with our Southern Baptist in, uh, missionary uh, board. And so most of the Christian workers are right here in the United States and uh, maybe Great Britain. And most of the people are, are elsewhere. There's a great imbalance here. And the question comes down to us, is it, is it right, is it fair for some of us to have opportunities to hear the gospel not once, not twice, not a hundred times, but hundreds of times before multitudes in our world have heard it one time? And a part of the responsibility rests on the shoulders of God's people who have that gospel, who've heard and read the command of Jesus in Matthew 28:19 to go and make disciples of all the nations, but have not taken seriously the call to go. And so we read here in Matthew chapter 9, verse, verse 38, Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field because of the suffering of humanity, because of the size of the harvest, because of the shortage of harvesters. How can it be that 48,000 churches in the Southern Baptist life can only send out 3,600 missionaries? Well, because we haven't been praying like we should and asking God to raise up workers for the harvest. Now, I'm not of that persuasion that says you ought to be a missionary unless God tells you not to go. I don't find that in the Bible. I understand the, the motive behind it. I think it's well intended, but I don't think, it, it, I don't think it's taught in Scripture. But here what is taught in Scripture. God does choose certain individuals to leave family and friends familiar surroundings and uproot themselves and go to a distant place and cross cultural boundaries and cross linguistic boundaries, cross ethnic boundaries to take the gospel of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who are in spiritual darkness, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, Condemned, even now, and headed for a Christless eternity. There is no post-mortem evangelism in hell. Those who are cast in the lake of fire are there forever. And we have some good news. And we've got we to take it to those who never heard it. We can begin right here just praying, God, raise them up. Raise them up from Luke 4, 18 Fellowship. Raise up workers for my family, for my sons and daughters, my grandsons and granddaughters. God, if it pleases you, for my child, my grandchild, to be a missionary, Lord, I release them with my blessing. Adoniram Judson is known as the father of the American missionary movement. He was wonderfully and gloriously converted as a young man and uh, went to initially to India, was there with Kerry. He went out as a Congregationalist. And on the months, several months long sea voyage to South Asia, along with his wife, Anne, reading the Greek New Testament, he became convinced that baptism is by immersion and not by sprinkling. And when he arrived there in Bengal, in India, he asked Kerry to baptize them. Sent out by the Congregationalists, but he had to send Luther Ice back to raise money because he's now Baptist. They didn't stay long in India. They ended up in Myanmar. In those days, it was called Burma. Uh, a Buddhist land under the stronghold of Buddhism. And he and Anne had some children. Several of their children 
they had to bury because they died because of the danger from tropical disease. In the province of God, he, his wife died. He married another missionary who came after her, and she died. Several of their children they had to bury. Before Adoniram Judson, who I, I need to tell you, I think is the greatest man since the Apostle Paul. Read his life story. Before he went out, and he only came back on state's out assignment one time. Before he went out, he, he wrote a letter to Ann Hazeltine, who was the, the father of the young lady that he eventually married and who went with him to Burma. And in the letter he said to her, I now have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and to her subjection to the hardships and the sufferings of missionary life, where you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all this in the hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory? With the crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved. Through her means, from eternal woe and despair. And thank God, Anne Hazeltine's father blessed her to marry him, to go to the South Asia. And thank God they went in obedience to the call of God. And now, in that still predominantly Buddhist land, there are literally thousands and thousands of Baptist Christians as a result of the witness of Adoniram and Ann Judson. Moms and dads, grandmothers and grandfathers, could you consent to send out your son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter if God so chose to call them and better still would you take seriously the clear command of Jesus to pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to raise them up from Luke 4.18 fellowship and from your family your children your grandchildren